probably just drop it in on like a wednesday or something cool sounds good or maybe like a thursday thursday i don't know i'll figure it out just dropping them at the late in the week well that way people have one to listen to early on in the week and then we can do like a bonus one you know Alrighty, y'all. It has been a couple weeks, but we are finally back again on a fine Sunday evening. Hope y'all have been well uh, the past couple weeks. Un- unintentional two-week hiatus, but it's fine. It worked out well because I was moving the first week into the new place, as you can kind of see, new setup. And then last week it just worked out well because Alex played so many games of softball and was very tired. That was the week before. Was that the week before? <laughs> yeah, that was the week I was laughing to myself because the week that we got stood up was the week we were going to have a medium on. I'm like, man, that guy can't see the future for shit. He was supposed <laughs> to know. He had a podcast to do tonight. And, you know, now I'm skeptical. Now I'm skeptical, William. Okay. Very skeptical. Just kidding. You know. we're, we're rescheduling. <laughs> Things come up in mediums life. We don't know. It's true. True indeed. But we are back tonight with uh, Abby. 
And that little backstory, Abby and I went to college together back at William Jewell many moons ago now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hate saying that, but it's been almost seven years since we graduated. So, um, yeah, so her uh, her and I went to went to college together. And then uh, when I put out oh earlier at the beginning of the summer asking people if they wanted to be on our humble little show, Abby hit me up immediately and was like, boy, do I have some stuff to tell you. <laughs> so yeah. I won't steal any of her thunder. I'll let her introduce herself and what we're going to be talking about tonight. And then we will jump right into it. Um, so I introduced just to be clear. Yeah, go ahead. Just okay. tell us a little um, bit about yourself. <laughs> okay, I'm Abby Porter. Um, I live in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Um, I saw Ben's post. There's also some construction going on around me, so there might be a little bit of back noise, but let's hope that's not too bad. Um, I saw Ben's post just kind of asking about stories with the church and um how that all went um i've been through a couple things but i also have a lot i think i feel like i have a pretty balanced perspective on um the church and just kind of how things are going and where they're going and i hope to kind of just be able to speak some light and hope into people's lives i'm not a medium to be clear on that um <laughs> and yeah so that's kind of it with that whole thing i majored in nonprofit leadership that's another very i feel like big part <laughs> non-profit leadership that's i feel like that should be like a saint like bachelor's degree Major like insane. i'm gonna spend a lot of money to go work <laughs> for companies that don't make uh, not that not that they don't make any money but you get what i'm saying but it's a very no. honorable <laughs> very honorable like decision to make early on in your life that that's what i want to do to be honest and fair, it was my academic advisor because I was originally trying to go for art therapy and I like basically kept switching majors around and I went to the academic advisor. And I was like, what can I get a degree in? And they're like, nonprofit leadership. And I'm like, let's do that. So it was, <laughs> it was kind of like, but I love it because I've done nonprofit since that I, I just, I care a lot about it, but it was kind of like a God thing, just kind of how that all kind of fell into my life. <laughs> They were just trying to graduate. <laughs> yeah, we were all just trying to graduate <laughs> at that True. point. So what are you up to now since we're talking about nonprofits? What are you up to now? What are you using your degree for now? So I specifically studied a lot of grant writing. So I do a lot with writing grants. Um, I've kind of taken a step back from that. And I do more. Um, I did case management with domestic violence. And I work specifically with um, street homeless individuals who were playing domestic violence and work to get them housed through United Way. Um, they have a grant called, uh, what is that called? Rapid Rehousing. Um, so they did a lot with just trying to get people that just any really, we would go out on the streets and try to count like individuals who are homeless and chronically homeless and try to keep tabs and do a lot of case management from that. Um, and then I moved out here and I do more community outreach. I work a lot with law enforcement hospitals. We do sexual assault, sexual assault hospital accompaniments. Um, I call them Saha. Um, mm. And I work a lot with just kind of like trying to get, I realized in North Carolina, which is bizarre, I would have thought that they would have been much more developed um, in victim services and they're not. 
in Kansas City, you go and there's like 10 domestic violence shelters in one city. There is one in one county here. And Mm -hmm. so we are the shelter in the county and we have 32 people that we can house and 16 families. Um, So it's really limited and resources are very slim. And there's, it reminds me of baby Kansas City, like in Mm -hmm. 2012 when we started like living there and it was just kind of like developing and um there is a lot of crime there's there's a lot of crime out here there's been a lot of homicides um a lot of human trafficking so i do human trafficking task force i do sexual assault response team and then i do the domestic violence community coalition mm, damn. yeah i remember yeah i remember <laughs> kansas city when we first got up there um was not as developed so it was really crazy to see it develop um while we were there and then yeah i remember when i lived out in north carolina like between towns there's not much it's super rural out there um so it doesn't surprise me too much Mm -hmm. that it's like pretty underdeveloped as far as that um that area is concerned Um, would would you say i was just gonna say would you say what would you say the reason for high crime rates are right now is it uh is the population expanding is it just sign of the time something in the water i mean what what if you had to give an educated guess the river water no i'm kidding um <laughs> i think a lot of it has to do <laughs> with um so it was really cool. I thought it was very insightful. Um, I was walking out of a response team meeting with like the captain or I think he was, yeah, he was like the, one of the captains over the Winston-Salem PD. And he said, I was like, I don't, I was really frustrated. I was like, I don't understand why this is so bad. I, he was like, it's a small town with big city problems. So a lot of these towns are small, but developing just like Kansas City was when we moved out there. and um with big city pro- so it's like that growing pains of like there's big city problems in winston-salem there's one two three four at least five like big colleges one of them is wake forest university mm-hmm. uh-huh. um and so huge colleges so you get a lot of college kids but then you've also got like a very 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 low income population as well who are like very disadvantaged and really kind of needing some help and um it kind of creates this huge difference and disparity and it's really bizarre because like on one end you'll be seeing somebody who's like pursuing a law degree and then on like the other side there's like people selling themselves down peters creek parkway and it's very Mm -hmm. it's a very interesting um dynamic i would say (laughs) that's that is it's very interesting and i know you're not on here to talk about crime rates but um it's it's just one of those things that's kind of fascinated me culturally because it seems like that's a very common narrative in a lot of different states and a lot of different cities and uh, uh, i won't go into you know the synopsis of what i think but i think it does have a lot to do with with growing pains and um you know when cities small town cities start to have big city problems it's like okay gosh we're not we're not used to, to dealing with this you know um also didn't help that we were all stuck inside for like, you know, two and a half years, slowly losing our minds. Um, That's the the mental health, the mental health crisis and the crime rates just kind of keep climbing right along alongside of each other. And it's always just interesting to me to to hear because you wouldn't think of small town North Carolina having some of those issues, but it seems like it's everywhere. Yeah, I think there's, 
it's one of those where it is like it's growing it's like almost like a it's like right north of Charlotte. So it's kind of like, it's really beautiful. Like it's a wonderful place to live. Um, but I think also like you've got California people are leaving, mm-hmm. um, you know, and they're looking at like, where can I see the ocean and the mountain in the same state? And it's like North Carolina, Texas, like thing. I don't know if Texas is mountains, like that might be inaccurate, but like oh, yeah. kind of things like that, where you're just kind of looking to find something that's not California and the price and then find it elsewhere and then also like um you know there are it's a lot of urbanization um and like you're saying like we were all kind of like under quarantine for quite a while and it was really cute like here's a very good example of like the cutest version of this so in like the nicest way so my littlest brother he is going to mizzou this year and um my parents like let him like order mizzou's like college stuff on amazon and like he's getting all of his dorm stuff and whatever and my mom's like we just got a knife block. <laughs> what college kid moving into freshman year of college like needs and like it's like a nice knife block, like, but they mm-hmm. don't understand like what all is kind of going on or like they're very like unaware of like even though he's watched three older siblings like go to school like moved us all in like there's this like kind of like misunderstanding of like what this actual like adulting thing is and I think it's going to be very interesting because I think like my generation and we were all like this is what adulting is and like you need to either do this or like quit and yeah. you know and so i think like i was one that kind of quit and i was like i'm just gonna fail and hide in a hole and bartend <laughs> like teach some yoga classes but it was very interesting to kind of watch i think it's going to be cool to kind of see where they're going it gives you a different perspective that's for sure you know mm-hmm. um I have a stepdaughter that's that's seven and uh you know she was in like the prime preschool years very developmental years and uh it's just interesting to watch her develop you know I don't have anything off the top of my head that like stands out or whatever but that will be you know a placeholder in her life you know like the where were you for kind of like us when we were kids with 9/11 you know everything mm-hmm. changed after 9/11 it was such a drastic you remember what grade you were in, you remember where you were, you remember how everything changed after that. And it's it's kind of uh, similar in a sense of it's a huge placeholder in her life, you know, and uh, happened in very early influential years. So it, it will be interesting. Anyway, sorry, I'm we're derailing from the story you came to speak about. This is what happens if you let me get off on tangents. So Totally fine. I'm here. Yeah, so I know when we were talking, when we uh, were trying to schedule to get on the show, and I know you mentioned it because you said you work with domestic uh, violence uh, victims, uh, and you men- you mentioned that you had suffered some of that yourself, um, and especially kind of to me when we were talking, it kind of took me back because it came from a, what I would consider a very unlikely source, um, essentially, um, as it being that it was your significant other at the time. Um, and that person was a, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, a pastor in a church, correct? Right. So yeah. for me, being a preacher's kid uh, growing up before I went off to college, that surprised me that that would be um, someone who would do something like that. So if you want to, you can go ahead and talk a little bit about that and then how that um, kind of led into to what you're working on now. Um, yeah, so 
I, yeah. So <laughs> trying <laughs> know, to it's think, like, it's it was. Uh, I'm like, mm-hmm. so actually, like, it's actually kind of pertinent because this is like the year anniversary. It would just like. It was really bad the whole time, but, like, this was kind of, like, August 30th was when just, like, the epitome of everything happened. So, it's, like, kind of been on my mind a little bit. I've talked. Um, what's ironic is me and my boyfriend, like, we're both ex-pastor spouses. Mm. So, it's, like, when does that ever happen? But we have a right. lot of, like, um, we have a lot of, like, empathy towards each other and like we're still we're going to church like we go Mm -hmm. to a pretty well-known church in north carolina and you know but like we're also able to kind of take a back seat and like not feel like you're kind of you feel like a mascot as a pastor spouse in a church Mm -hmm. like i will say that like you feel like you know you gotta especially as a woman like you have to look good but you can't look too good and you've got to sit in the front row and you've got to do xyz and you've got to clean up everybody's mess after the church service while your husband talks to all these people and then you know you've got to sit there for three hours after the service even though you've been there all sunday and you work a full-time job because you're not getting paid and Mm -hmm. it's like you also kind of get yeah my mom and you kind of get crapped on by like the whole congregation and you're just like i'm supposed to love you guys and like i i literally remember i read so many books from like all these pat like kay warren and like listen to audiobooks just trying to understand how these these people were successful in this and it's a lot of just how to be supportive by your family um and also by your spouse or partner right and mm-hmm. um that wasn't there. That's a big part. And like the church is always like harping on, you know, like the church is the bride of Christ and like Mm -hmm. marriage is really important, but it's like, so what do we do when the marriage is abusive? And like, what do we do when people are being abused in the church? And like, I don't agree with, you know, the only reason why somebody should get divorced is because they're getting cheated on or like, because oftentimes like at least in my case like i will say like i cheated on my spouse like at the very end like the last month like i met this dude i was like kind of using that as like oh my gosh like i can be treated so much better than how i'm being treated right now like i'm being treated awful and like Mm -hmm. i don't deserve the abuse that this person is saying that i do deserve um and somebody can treat me right and as somebody who's been trafficked as a kid and you know being like just gone through some really horrendous things in general and like Mm -hmm. like i think you were there with that was like i had a really horrible eating disorder for 14 years because of my sexual assault as a kid and Mm -hmm. um somebody who knew all of that about me because he was my pastor before he was my husband um to then be that horrible and like make my life so awful the entire time and just kind of like and also looking back like i've noticed like i'm very prone to cults <laughs> like mm. it's really weird it's like i i've kind of processed this in therapy a little bit of like i'm very prone to like having somebody tell me like this is the right way to do this because like in my head i'm like i don't know what i'm doing <laughs> like i'm like i i need somebody to tell me this is the correct answer when reality it's like that's Jesus. And if anyone's pretending to be Jesus, then, or like taking that place, um, which sometimes like corrupt, like pastors and like where that leadership kind of goes is mm-hmm. to the place of where 
it is they are then Jesus. They are the voice of God. They have prophecy. They have blah. And it was like, I remember like when we were announcing, like we were getting married, all these women, because my husband, <laughs> he was, he's, he was 49 years old when we got married. I'm 29 now. So I was like 28, 27. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And I remember this, all these single girls like left the church and he like literally said in front of the congregation, like, I want a best friend, not a prophetess. But like, I thought that was really sweet in the moment. I'm like, oh, yay, we're best friends. But like, looking back, that instantly set me up for like being less than like the mm. step down from him and God. Right. So it was like, I'm, I'm the one he's going to tell me what God thinks. God's not going to talk to me. He's going to talk to Jason, you mm. know, and it was mm -hmm. like, so. <laughs> when some of that abuse from your childhood, which I don't know much about at all, other than what you just mentioned, um, you know, in those formative years, you know, when you're trying to figure out what's right, what's wrong, how to conduct yourself as a human, and then you're being exposed to all these horrific accidents, or not accidents, uh, incidents, um, that really skews your version of what is right and what's wrong. So it's it's very normal for people who suffer from that type of situation. And it's funny because most cults don't start off as a, a cult. It's always a church or a family or here's the gathering or whatever. We're, we're not going to call it a cult. It's a church. Listen, guys, it's a church. Okay, come on in. And cults always start off awesome. Cults always start off looking really fun. It's until the, the typically man at. Yeah, it's typically the man at the helm um, starts either having promiscuous affairs with people in the cult or really start showing the true colors. That's it, it. It's fascinating to me. The similarities, and this is some of the issue I have with some established religion, the similarities between churches and cults, because there's not a whole lot of dividing there other than we worship this book or we worship what this guy tells us to worship. And I'm not saying churches are cults and churches are bad. I, that's not the goal here at all. But but there's a very there's not a whole lot in that dividing line and it's it's it can be a very tricky line to walk if you're not in the hands of the right church leader, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean you put it under the, a microscope and that line that divides church and religion from a cult is very thin and it's easy like it gets real easy to cross it especially if you got somebody at the helm um who's a little bit power hungry so i was actually at lunch this week which was actually kind of i'm like this is all setting me up for this today you know and, <laughs> uh my boss was who she also does a lot with human trafficking like that was her like bread and butter like i'm not saying like she was all about human trafficking but she did a lot of work with um you know victims and you know kind of just pulling them out but she said churches by definition are cults the definition of a cult is a church and i didn't really look a whole lot into that but i was like that's very interesting that she would say that because she also goes to church you know and um it was very you know i think i was listening to it took a long time you know for me to kind of be able to like in my healing and i'm still healing a lot from that um to really kind of be able to put um 
like understand the leadership and like the dynamic because like in my head I'm I remember like I've tried a couple churches around town and like I will be driving into the parking lot I'll be going there and I'll be calling like one of my girlfriends and I'll be like I'm not going to another call I can't do it <laughs> like yeah. just stuff like that because I'm like instantly like I get triggered and like mm-hmm. upset about it and um so it it's very interesting to kind of look at like the pathology and like because the, it like I see posts all over Facebook about like the church is broken the church is made full of sinners like correct and also like your pastor is somebody who is a broken human being but are they willing to admit that mm-hmm. like that's where the i notice like that person like my ex-husband was uncorrectable like you could not say he had any faults you couldn't call him out like it would instantly be challenged mm-hmm. and i was listening to another podcast i forget the name of it but um, and I can provide it later, but they were talking about abusive pastors and like these people who were also like big, like in church leadership and, um, you know, how they kind of went through stuff and, um, the church past, like they said, basically the, the same thing with dictators is like the more power you get and the more unchecked it gets, like it, your empathy, your muscle in your brain that creates empathy goes down. Mm-hmm. So you lose your empathy like you have no empathy so being able to understand people and basically be a shepherd which is what a pastor is like you can't do that Mm -hmm. um so then you just become this very proud very like not humble like basically the antithesis of jesus um and so it's i hear about church hurt all the time and people be like i'm not going to church because church hurt and you know we as I was in a church that specifically catered to people who had experienced church hurt. And um, going back to like when I was trafficked, like I was 12, I was 11, 12, 13. I went on for like two years, three years. Um, Like I never blamed God. Like people would be like, were you angry at God? I was like, no, it's like, I knew God was there and I knew he loved me and I knew he was going to redeem it regardless of all the awful stuff that was happening. And he has. And like, I think, a lot of what I'm doing now is that I always tell like people that I work with is I really, even like domestic violence, I helped somebody this week who I reminded me a lot of my situation. I was like, I'm being the help that I wish I had. And I've had to kind of learn how to navigate the system and figure out how to get an order of protection and how to file for divorce and protect myself. And um, you know, really advocate for myself and, you know, hold somebody who has been so narcissistic and above correction to the fire of the court and the legal mm-hmm. system. Um, because kind of what I say about abusers are they do not respect you. <laughs> so expecting them to respect you to change, like, because that's kind of the cycle of abuse, even though I never got an apology, right. but for them to be like, Oh, I'm going to knock it off because we're going to go to therapy or whatever. You're if you are the point of the intervention, they don't respect you because they're abusing you. Right. So they're not going to knock it off. They need somebody who's has more authority, the government, law enforcement, something like that to actually hold them accountable because you are not somebody that's going to be able to hold them accountable because they don't respect you, you know, and right. um that's kind of where I'm an advocate for law enforcement getting involved, where I am an advocate for probation and 
you know, supervision and therapy that's required by the court. That's not couples therapy, therapy for that person, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And it's, uh, so I'm trying to figure out how to wear this, not to say that like, obviously the stuff that, that you went through in your early years and, and then, you know, through college and then afterwards was, um, like supposed to happen, but I'm very much a person that's like everything happens for a reason, right? So you went through all of that as traumatic and and awful as it was, but now we're on the other side and you have the ability to take your experiences and help those other people that have suffered some of the similar uh, things. So now you kind of become like a a beacon of light or like a, a help um, to those people, which mm-hmm. is how I look at it when I went through my divorce. Did I want to go through my divorce? Absolutely not. Did it suck the entire time? 100%. Did I come out better for it on the other side? Yes. And now mm-hmm. I can count the amount of times that I've had the opportunity to use that to help other people just in my small sphere of the base that I'm on and uh, the for the as fortunate I've been uh, enough as I've been to teach a few classes where uh, you know people get to you know have questions about stuff it's like not even related to the class I'm teaching but they felt comfortable enough to ask me about it. I'm like hey here's my story dude like this is my advice based off what I've had and what I've been through and like the therapy and stuff I went through like take it or leave it but like here's the help that I can offer yeah definitely Abby the the trafficking scenario that you went through and I don't want to get into like you know crazy detail or anything like that obviously but what what did that situation look like and let me let me tell you why I'm asking the question is because I think especially now more than ever people's eyes are opening up larger than ever at how rampant child sex trafficking is um, and I, I feel like a lot of people, myself included, at a certain stage in my life, when I thought child sex trafficking, I thought like the movie like Taken. You know, I thought like Man on Fire, like mm-hmm. like handcuffed. They're giving them heroin in these dungeons, like on mattresses, and obviously that's horrible. But trafficking, what I'm learning at this stage of my life, can take many different uh, roles and shapes. Um, and I, I feel like it's very important for people to be able to recognize someone that might be in that situation that might not even look like they're in that situation. So, again, I'm not asking for, like, graphic details or anything like that. I just, what did that trafficking situation look like for you at, at such a young age? So, for me, I will say a big indicator of girls that have been trafficked is development of eating disorders or um, self-harm not to kill themselves but to be able to kind of release the pain mm. of what they went through to be able to regulate their emotions that was a big thing with the eating disorder was being able to control like my body and like feel some sort of like release um i that's a big indicator if you're looking for it i think you know i will say i never left my parents house um, well, I did. Like, I went to school and went over to the person I was being trafficked from, but like, I never was kidnapped or yeah. ran away or anything like that. Um, and that's, and not to interrupt you, but that's the wild part for me. Like, that's what I feel like people should know the most. Like, you're going home every night. Like, you're going, mm-hmm. like, you're living the 12, 13 year old life that, like, you know, that's not what necessarily fits in people's like trafficking mold. 
You know what I mean? Which yeah. is just very, very interesting. Sorry, go, it, go ahead and continue. It's kind of weird. And, you know, I think it was actually, I was, what, it was like 2016, 2017, I went to a treatment center and right by where I was trafficked out of in Missouri. And um, one of the girls there, she had like very bad dissociative identity disorder called multiple personality disorder, mm-hmm. I think formerly. Um, and I remember like sitting in a group with her and I was listening to her talk and I was like, that sounds like me. And it actually ended up that she was the younger sister, of one of the boys that I was kind of a lot of the child pornography was done mm. with. Um, so, it, and he had committed suicide later. So it was like very like impactful. Um, and she's doing very well. I will say like, she's, um, you know, it, and it's crazy. Um, yeah. but at the same time, it's, a lot of the fear, like the guy who, um, I will say his name, Glenn, um, you know, was trafficking me. It started out like, and I will say this, this was a huge thing. I was kind of processing through this week too, was, um, like, I remember like going over to my friend's house, you know, I had a hard time making friends, like as a kid, like I remember in second grade, I asked this girl, if she wanted to be my friend in the bathroom. And she asked me if I just, if I just asked her if I wanted to be her, if she wanted to be my friend. And she was like, no and i was like oh (laughs) um that hurts so yeah i had a hard time i was kind of a loner and so like this little girl had like kind of she had the stepdad i remember just how weird the stepdad was it was like he was he knew he had a problem and he knew it was it was a problem with like kids Mm. um and you could tell it was like kind of like an addict like if you take an alcoholic into a bar and like I remember like yeah. he wouldn't stay in the room with us very long. Like he'd go upstairs and um I it was like the first time I slept over at the house, like the that happening, like I was raped violently at first and then it just kinda it was a lot of fear. It was a lot of violence. Um uh, he ran I'm, over his dog in front of me. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, hold on. Yeah. That gentleman uh raped you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh my god. Like, okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, I yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. So it was a lot of the initial was just rape but mm. as a kid. Like I was raped a lot and then it kind of developed into like hey, I know a friend how, like he really likes this how, and like How old was that? I was that 11. God damn. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was, it was weird. It was, I mean, but like, I do remember that, that like, weird would weird be one adjective. Yeah. Abby, that would be, damn. yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. We're not very PG uh, on this show. I'm just going to go ahead and say it's fucked. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. Um, but I think just looking back, like I remember, you know, I will say this, like when all of that was happening, like I was terrified, like mm-hmm. it's, it's been a whole thing of, and Ben and I were talking about the Me Too movement and how that's all kind of come out. And I'm not knocking anybody that has been through trauma. I'm not knocking anybody that's been sexually assaulted. I am saying there is a huge difference for somebody who has lived through that for three years every weekend versus somebody that was like intoxicated at a party and, you know, went through that. And it's, it's hard as somebody who has gone through what I went through to kind of sit in a room and listen to somebody. And I've had to learn 
mm-hmm. through my time, of course, in the eating disorder treatment, because a lot of those girls weren't trafficked. They were sexually assaulted one time. And, you know, it was like, okay, like this person still has the same feelings that I had, even though mine's a little bit different. And so, mm-hmm. um, but to have somebody that had been through it and knew what I went through, and she actually had a court case. It was her dad, her biological father was trafficking her and her brother um, that linked up with Glenn. And so mm-hmm. it was, it was bad. And they did it in different cities and different counties. So we couldn't like a, here was the thing is I was destroying my own evidence. <laughs> so mm, yeah. it was like, I was so terrified of getting caught, like th- my parents finding out or yeah. anything like the dude killed his dog. He poisoned my dog two years after like, and so I actually ended up in the eating disorder treatment in the eighth grade and getting pulled out of school. Um, much like college Ben. And, yeah. uh, that was how I stopped getting trafficked <laughs> was so- going to the hospital um can can i pause your story just so i can connect some dots here because i'm i'm very much like a i want to understand all of this so this gentleman this stepfather is the one that was then in turn trafficking you is that is that glenn is that right yeah glenn yeah okay gotcha so you spend the night at your friend's house she has a stepdad glenn's the stepdad dude Everybody knows he's kind of weird, alcoholic into a bar type situation. Mm-hmm. So then he starts sexually assaulting you. And then from that point in time, he starts bringing you to different cities. Is that correct? Different. So it was like he would bring the, it wasn't different cities. It was always out of his house. house he just bring basement. other people over. There would and, be other kids. And then it was the things, the acts that this ring was doing was happening in different counties. So Mm. my trafficking couldn't add up to this other girl's trafficking because this was in Fenton and mine was in Bowen. And like, you know, so it was like a little bit tricky to kind of link it up. And then by the time, like I actually got, you know, the strength and like wherewithal in me and support to kind of be like, because I didn't tell my parents. Because dude yeah. was still their neighbor. He killed my dog. I was like, I'm not okay. going to report this. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Know? And so I was, it was 2016. And I remember telling my parents. And they were like, we knew it. <laughs> well, shit, if you knew it, why didn't you do anything? God dang. Yeah, my dad, he traveled a lot for work. Um, That's been a really, like, big process of me, like, in my journey, too, is also, like, learning how to kind of forgive and, like, know my parents. Like, my, it's really weird how generational trauma and stuff works is, like, my mom was sexually assaulted a lot as a kid, and then I went through that. So it was, like, she did everything she could to prevent that from happening to me, but she also had three other kids, and, you know, it was, like, it was really hard. And, you know, the eating disorder was just kind of like the easiest way for me to cry out for attention and get the heck out of there. Um, that I learned how to express, like, I'm not okay. And I don't want to talk about why I'm not okay, but I'm not okay. Mm, um, so yeah, but I will say this, like I was kind of, like I said earlier was I was reflecting a lot on this. Like, I remember, like, I have a lot of, I don't think that Glenn I think Glenn knew he had a problem. Like, I think Glenn knew he was doing the wrong thing and he couldn't help himself with not doing it. Like, like an addict, you know, like, I think maybe there had been, he had just moved to the town from where God knows where, maybe there was somewhere else that 
he was doing that, but like he knew there was a problem. And I remember him actively resisting it. Did what he do was very wrong and it was horrendous and horrible and I'm ter- it was traumatic for me, yes. But with my ex-husband, there was nothing, no acknowledgement. Yeah. I don't remember anything of, there was no apology. And so it almost makes it worse in my head as somebody who went through both of those things. Of yeah. like, there was no, like, it was, you deserve this, you're bad. And like to be the person who's also, I was actively working at a domestic violence as a case manager. Um, and then to have that kind of getting bonked on my head too of like, hey, like, you, how dare you be? And I was always the abuser. That was also the other thing is like, you're abusive. And I was like, how? Show me where. Uh, well, it was, all, and I started recording because I like, as somebody who had been through stuff, like I was, um, I would shut down. Like mm-hmm. if I start getting yelled at and there's like high escalated stuff, like I turn off, like I would just stonewall is what it's called. And like, I just would yeah. sit there and just agree and make it stop. Whatever I need to say to make this not stop, like right. I will say that. Um, because I kept thinking I was crazy. Like I was like, yeah. you know, like I don't know what's going on. And to have somebody be so set on, you know, my anger is the righteousness of God and it's righteous indignation. And here's all these Bible scriptures that justify my anger. And the classic. looking back to like, yeah, but looking back to like how Jesus was actually angry was like Jesus was angry and he flipped over tables because mm. they were the Pharisees were making a mockery of the church. Right. The Pharisees were notoriously legalistic and they were making a mockery of the church. So looking to my ex-husbands or anybody who had been abusing their pa- like authority as a pastor that's kind of what they're doing. And so to have, and I remember like, it's so weird because like I link things in the Bible, like I'll listen to sermons and stuff and I'll link things and I'll be like, that's what my ex husband said. And I'm like, that's a completely different way than this person's explaining it is um, to call what is good evil and what is evil is good. And it was mm-hmm. like, woe to those. And it was, I remember like, he had it so flip flopped in his head and what he had been through as a kid that he wasn't working through. Um, and I will say the reason why we met and kind of to tie all these knots together is um, he, we met because I was working at a MOXA, the sexual assault place and um, metropolitan organization. We like acronyms, uh, yeah. abbreviations <laughs> or whatever, counter sexual assault. Um, so, I was very much working with trafficking and he had an anti-sex trafficking ministry and he was a member on the board of Rended Heart, which is a um, anti-trafficking shelter in Kansas City. Um, So me and my ex-husband met talking about potentially he had this FBI connection and he wanted to bring justice to my situation. I was like, I'm not into bringing justice. I've tried like, reported it you know did what i could not so great and um it kind of just all fell through the cracks and um but we still worked together a lot i started going to his church and wait was was his (laughs) was his fbi connection real was that a real connection yes 
I met okay. with him. Dang it, I was going to guess that that guy was totally full of it from the jump. Anyway. <laughs> no, so, no, what ended up happening, so he would make these awesome connections with people who were really cool. Um, yeah, narcissists are good at then, that. True. But then they would get turned off by him somehow. Like, I remember he would yell Here. at, like, the, um, you know, sales representatives on the phone that was actually like the big escalating factor mm. on the 30th of August that turned everything was like, he was screaming at somebody who had, um, you know, like a like it was under my name and like, she wouldn't give him information. And I remember like just saying like, Hey, I'm in a meeting. Like I will get to this on my lunch break. And, but I remember sitting him in the other room and just fighting with this lady who was like foreign, like she's trying her mm. best. And like, I don't love interactions on customer service lines like that, but I'm not actively arguing with them and, you know, accusing them of like, it's just crazy. And so, um, but like, I think that's what was going on with the FBI guy is like, they met, you know, he's like, I'm really into, you know, helping with the sex trafficking thing. I'd really like to work on this. And my ex-husband was very like gun ho, like, let's go, let's go. Like, drive down the street and write down every unmarked license plate and scan them and like all this stuff that actually has nothing to do with trafficking. And Mm. my case is a very good point of like, it's happening in residential neighborhoods, right? So it's, it's places where you don't even recognize it's happening. And that's kind of the point of it. Like that's how they they want to keep it quiet. Yeah. So ideas of grandiose. Yeah, yeah, ideas okay. are yeah. checking the boxes. Yep, hero yep. complex, like all sorts of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I just want to go back to a couple of things you said, just because I've had some thoughts that I've been holding a little bit of save rounds. Um, when you were talking about how yeah. it was like flipping scripture, like all of the people, pastors, whoever, whoever you have that I've heard about or known about that you know turn, you know turn to basically victim blaming, always take those scriptures well and truly out of context, like you said, uh, and twist them to fit their own narrative again, like you said. So that all, you know, still tracks. Um, and what's funny to me is he didn't realize, uh, this is like the second point, he didn't realize he was acting more like the Pharisees at the time than Jesus, because Jesus rolled in there and whooped the Pharisees' ass for basically doing the exact same thing he was doing, you know, going on a power trip, bastardizing the church, all that stuff. And then just to be able to stand up there on Sunday and probably have a sermon about that and just not connect the dots that he was on the wrong end is just, uh, that's the one thing about the human brain that always like boggles and yet intrigues me at the same time. So there is, it goes back to that empathy thing. It's Mm -hmm. like that self-awareness, which was actually what the sermon was about today. Um, The church I'm going to is being self-aware. The Bible says like be alert and of sober mind, AKA Mm -hmm. be self-aware. Like the devil's like roaring to devour. And I remember my uh, ex-husband, like he would always ask me like, where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? And it was always like, I don't, you're not in the Lord or like you don't have, you're not as good of a Christian is because there's no fruit. And I'm like, God's not blessing you because there's no fruit and you're doing something wrong. Cause there's no fruit. And it was like, okay, but like, here I am, like I'm servicing like victims of domestic violence and giving them house. Like I'm looking at my fruit and then I'm looking at his fruit and he has a maybe 
10 person congregation and mm. he's renting from another church and he's burning connections like it's nobody's business and you know even the people that he's like trying to deliver from stuff like is really bad and i will say this like going back to deliverance is i remember this is bizarre um so i did not recover from an eating disorder at any treatment center i went to i went to 27 treatment centers um over 14 years i had a, i mean ben was witness to it i had a really bad it was bad eating disorder um so i i remember one day i was about to go through my whole little thing that i was doing at the time and i remember calling him and he was my pastor at the time and i remember saying like i can't do this anymore i don't know what to do and i can't i just can't and he's like can i pray for you and instantly i was like no like i i so many people have prayed i have a nun praying for me every day for my grandmother like I'm, i don't need no prayers. <laughs> and like but he prayed and you know i then i stopped i was healed of the eating disorder um it was bizarre and um i haven't relapsed it's been what 2019 four years um and it was a bad eating disorder so it's been really interesting but i think where the lines got blurred was as i was treating i was going to die if i kept doing the eating disorder thing like that was hands down and so i was treating jason like jesus so mm -hmm. i was flipping them and so i remember meeting with a counselor who um you know like it's christian and she's wonderful her name's nanette and I remember telling Nanette, I was like, I owe Jason my life. And basically like my life's pointless. If I don't like it's our, it was already going to, I was already going to die. So I might as well just like waste my life and be unhappy and, you know, be abused and do this because, you know, if it wasn't for Jason, I'd be dead. Mm -hmm. And she's like, but like you actually owe your life to Jesus, not Jason. And I was like, Oh, you know, and it was kind of like the perfect setup though, to be able to, really credit everything to jason versus jesus and like that mentality of like i owe my recovery from this horrible thing and my redemption to jason rather than jesus and the like going back to the legalism thing like he was i would almost say like borderline messianic um mm. where i don't have any knock on messianic judaism like it's it's beautiful when it's practiced um well and um you know i think a lot of like the old testament like we need to be way more respectful of i will say that like i still can't eat pork and shrimp and not of like an eating disorder thing but i think god's gonna like come kill me with a lightning bolt and i feel guilty when i do you know and it's mm -hmm. like the things that like we were doing we couldn't have a christmas tree because those were asherah poles and like yeah so, just like the things that like had brought me joy in the past like there was always a reason like why we can't do this and i'm like i think jesus came to die for those things and i think my parents who have a christmas tree up that's blue and sparkly and has an angel on top that looks nothing like an angel in the bible quite frankly that's it's a barbie <laughs> like, mm -hmm. right, i yeah. don't think those people are going to hell you know, and he's like, well, no, I just need, this is just how Jesus, but it creates this piety of like, I'm better. I'm going to be saved and higher up. And in the Bible, it does preach of like, there is a hierarchy in heaven, but it also says like the first will be last and the last will be first. So like, 
the thing with God is like you won't be able to understand him because he's a bigger being than you, you know, and so right. let's not try to and try to earn our way into heaven and be above like if I just make it to heaven, I'm cool. <laughs> Frankly. Let, so let me put it this way. If I get to heaven and there's like a level like point system, I'm gonna be like, no, I'm I'm cool on this. I'm good. I just came from a place like that and it wasn't that fun down there. Thanks. Um I, I'm cool on the whole point system. You're a better quote unquote Christian than I am. Like, no thanks. Um I, I don't think that's how it goes. I have so much to say. Um but yeah, I don't think uh that's how it goes whatsoever and going back to jason you know it's it's funny but not funny at all how he found exactly what he was looking for in you um out of curiosity was he married before you or had he been no he was and that was the big thing is like my trauma I was not a virgin when we got married, but allegedly mm-hmm. he was a 49 year old virgin man who, oh, sure. when we yeah, got married sure, and I was all, like, yeah, we all believe that I have no, nothing to say about confirm or deny. I cannot. Um, but there was a lot of issues around that when we started being married. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, uh, but instantly, uh, like before our marriage, it was like it was really hard for me, like feeling dirty and disgusting and feeling like this person is already like five legs up ahead of me on worthiness of love. And, you know, has really like and that was the thing is like that was like and he had a best friend who was a man named Dave and like him and Dave mm-hmm. were like always besties. And um uh, but Dave was always like hyping him up of like you don't understand how big of a deal this is to him and you're like so worthy of his love and or not worthy of his love that that's a lie um but like the like you're so like you're so blessed like this man's been waiting to be married his whole life and you know that's such a big deal to him and he's gonna really value this and so instantly I'm thinking like he's not valuing this like the first week we were married. He left me at home for a week. I have no idea where he was. He wouldn't answer the phone. <laughs> and I can only imagine. Um, On a fish he just okay. left? Um, <laughs> quote, unquote. He just did? Yeah. He, he would pick a fight. He would pick a fight. So we'd get into a fight inevitably. Our first fight, I remember, was about, like, making the bed. And, like, I had a specific... I do, like, the nurse's corners, you know? And he wasn't doing them. And so I, like picked up the sheet and like went and like did them right you know because i'm kind of weird about that and um he was like and he like lost his mind he like stormed out and left and wasn't to be heard from until i called and apologized for being controlling and then he bought me a book called control freak by a christian woman (laughs) for me to read um you know and so it was like and it was like that our whole marriage like i can't name a month that we actually did not I guess, separate that he didn't leave me for an extended period of time, which is actually kind of hilarious because I realized like um, I was always known for having plants like Uh in my office at home. Like I always had plants and like, I remember I was talking to my best friend, Hannah um, one day and she was like, why do you, why do you think you have so many plants? I'm like, because they can't leave me. (laughs) (laughs) Anxiously hoarding plants because like, 
and I wasn't allowed to have a dog like because I really wanted a dog and like that was the thing is like at least like if I can nurture something like because that's what a wife should do is like nurture something like can I have a dog you know and I remember like he picked a fight on the way to get this dog at Pentland in Blue Springs Missouri and he literally like I pulled over because I was driving and I had taken PTO from work and um, I pulled over on the Paseo in Kansas City in a gas mm-hmm. station because I was getting dysregulated because I can't, dr- I, I crash cars a lot. So like, just <laughs> like, I was like, this is not safe. So I'm going to just pull over and like, you know, like we're going to hash this out like a normal people would. And I remember he left, he literally walked off, out, left my car left me in my car on the paseo and like left and i got the dog and that dog was called ishmael um which is basically like (laughs) if you know the story with like abraham and isaac like it was like he cheated on his wife with his slave girl and like it was a whole thing and so it was like that dog was abused its entire existence. It was eating its own poop. Like it was, mm. it had a lot of problems. And like, I was trying to like love this dog as best I could. His name was Eddie. And, you know, I actually ended up having to give him away. And it was, that was the hardest thing. Cause I felt like Eddie and I, like at least Eddie was like witnessing the, what I was, what was happening. Right. You know, all yeah. the yelling. I remember the first time the police got called, like Eddie, like tried to bite one of the officers that came into the apartment. And, um, like the Jason decided Jason's black man too. So it was like, he was hiding in the bedroom of the like one bedroom apartment and he wouldn't come out. And so like the police knocked on the door and I answer it. Cause I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's a neighbor. Like they're probably complaining cause we're, I'm getting screamed at, you know, and blah. And so I, he opens the door and I get pulled into the hallway and then they like try to have Jason like come out and Jason's refusing, which is like the worst idea ever yeah. for any person that's a black <laughs> in Kansas and B like basically being accused of domestic violence. And, um, yeah. you know, I remember sitting in the hall and like trying to like talk them down and say like, Hey, he hasn't hit me. He hasn't done anything. He just yelled and I deserve it. And the police officer literally said to me, this is only going to get worse. And it did. And that was in February. Um, and I just remember like being so scared that my husband was going to get shot because he was like getting in their face and screaming at them. And I was just sitting in the hall, like watching this and watching these police get like combative and like upset with him. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, like Mm -hmm. what is happening? Um, so that was terrifying. The end. Yeah. (laughs) Jason, Jason, uh, he didn't. Jason didn't happen to relocate to Topeka, Kansas, did he? No, and I. Okay. I'm kind of wondering why you're asking me that. Because, because he sound like I was gonna bring this story up. So I had I managed an office in Topeka, Kansas for a while. I had a guy who worked for me who, admittedly, wasn't that great of a guy. He was, but he was kind of just a big dumb oaf is the best way to describe it. He had a wife. Um, and his wife was uh, black, which is fine. And this gentleman was white. Um, and they went to a, a black church. Um, and his wife had been not necessarily proven to be having uh, 
outside marital affairs with this pastor at this church. Um, the husband could never really prove it, but always kind of thought something was going on. And then so one day, the the white guy, Carl, or I shouldn't say his name. I'm going to bleep that out. Sorry. Um, the gentleman that works for me um, is at like Chipotle and ends up getting the girl's number who works there. Well, then his wife finds out he's texting Chipotle girl. Huge deal. They go to the church for guidance. And he was telling me like the pastor's just licking his chops. Like, oh, my God, this is like the perfect opportunity. And tells the lady, um, well, darling, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go to the other room, and you're going to ask Jesus what he would do. And you're going to come back, and you're going to decide whether you want to stay with individual or not. Um, well, and of course, she goes away for like two minutes and comes back. Mm. And it's like, nope, we're getting a divorce. And uh, it was like the traditional the, like the pastor was texting underneath the table, not looking, be like, Jesus said that uh, you're getting divorced. Exactly. Like it was, you know, nothing like about fighting for the marriage or like there had been no real like cheating, if you will. Although everybody understands like that's basically cheating. You, you know what I mean? There's, but everything you're saying about this Jason guy, like is just like ringing in my ears about this other guy in Topeka, Kansas who've same exact type situation like and sounds like more of the same of absolute power corrupts absolutely in situations like these and i think there's a lot of that more than we'd like to admit as a church and i will say like the whole catholic thing i think you know protestant Mm -hmm. churches probably need a good cleansing as well um you know i think like I'm not saying Kansas is the worst state ever, but I kind of maybe believe that a little bit. I mean, but Kansas like that's a whole different thing. Um, it it does. Um, they have a lot of oil though, so like I'm kind mm. of a big proponent of like maybe just closing it down and just using it for oil. Um, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Like I will it. say, like yeah, right. Um, yeah, and so I think with um the with my church and like not my church, the church I was married into, it was like, there was a lot of this like big emphasis on marriage, right? Because it is like the church is the bride of Christ. So like you need as the bride, like you need to be ready. Like there's all these parables about like these, like being ready to have Jesus come back. And like, those are awesome. Like those are beautiful. Like Jesus has nothing to do with the corruptness and just suckiness of people in general um you know and like jesus in fact like wants to see our suckiness and our brokenness and like walk with us through it and be like hey you could have done this better but that does take us being like hey i kind of sucked right there like hey i got mad and there wasn't a reason to get mad like god like help me understand why i got mad and sometimes it might not be what you would think and so like that's what jesus does um you know i think with the church thing is there was this committing to relationship and Jason was always like blaming the woman. Like Mm -hmm. it was always the, he was always very, he's like, Oh, I'm so surprised. Like every time, like I do a marital counseling, which I'm like, you do not need to be doing marriage. Like, and by the way, he's still preaching. Um, like you do not need to be doing marital counseling right now. Like we, you have no authority over that demon right now. Um, you know? And so like, he would say like 
he would always be ready to like drill into the dude, but it was always the woman who would surprise him by like being just like this total, like, you know, like, Oh, they're cheating or they're doing this and whatever. And so it was weird because me and, um, you know, I just moved and I was going through like some old papers. Like I kept, like, I had to get like three protection orders, like all this crazy crap. Um, and I was going through some of those old papers and like kind of just getting rid of what I didn't need. And I saw like all these documents that I created like on just like my own, like just trying, I was just trying (laughs) and I had no better way. Like I had no better way other than to just create this like system. Like the basic one that everyone always has is like the 10 rules of communication. Like don't yell, blah, blah. And so I had that. And then, so I had Abby's 10 rules and then like we were separated of course. And he was only replying to my emails because he needed a witness or something weird. It was bizarre. Some of these are bizarre, but he always needed a witness and there always needed to be somebody like present because I was like this lying whore, blah. And this is before I ever like did anything, had mm-hmm. any like extramarital anything. And so um, like, I remember like, and then it was Jason's rules, like no lying, no slandering, no whatever. And it was like, and then I had like, like I did, Abby's green, yellow, red lights of dissociation. Because, like, as somebody who's been through trauma, you dissociate. And it was, like, the screaming and the yelling and the getting in my face and throwing things at me. Like, that's going to, like, disconnect me and I'm not going to be present. And so, like, I was, like, here's, like, what I look like when I'm dissociated. Like, it was, like, I literally had, like, a manual on, like, how to communicate. And the it kind of just boils down to, in any marriage, is like, it you as the person is trying harder than the person that you're married to to stay in the marriage. Mm-hmm. Probably not. It's probably be abusive. It's probably not working. And yeah. like, I remember I was like, there was all these books about like how to have an intervention with an abusive husband in the church and not mentioning that the person in the church is your pastor, by the way, because, um, you know, like, the pastor like is supposed to be the one with the checks and balances who you go to to kind of like you know be the voice of reason mm-hmm. of everything and kind of be like hey like and mediate that like and um there wasn't any like he was the worship leader he was the kids ministry leader he was the pastor he was this so there was nobody above him and there was nobody on a board there was all of his best friends that then regulated all the money and everything else um, the day after we got divorced, we agreed that he would pay $3,500 to our divorce because I was paying the rent for the house that we were living in that he had then left, um, you know, which was honestly very fair. And he hasn't paid it still. But then the next day, the day after, so we got divorced officially on like January 3rd. And then January 4th, there's a $20,000 deposit into his account. And I'm like... Mm great you know it's just that kind of crap where you're just like you're just being sketched <laughs> like, I yeah. don't know how else to say that and it's it takes a lot for you know me to be able to kind of trust in the church again and you know i think um it, it's slow but also i think like jesus is there with me you know i think like jesus got hurt by the church too like you know it wasn't you know, the Romans that ultimately decided that Jesus was going to die, it was going to be the church. So like, how do you kind of walk through that? You know, it's, there's a, 
again, a lot I want to say, but um, it, it's interesting how the brain of a narcissist works so commonly like that that narcissistic tendency it's like that you talk about like writing a manual or a playbook like mm -hmm. when you've been on the other side of it outside looking in you're like oh yeah they're really good at this like and not only are they so manipulative of like in your case almost uh, inducing like a munchausen like by proxy type situation like okay he keeps telling me and telling everybody else that i'm crazy so i'm fully believing now that i'm crazy like that's Munchausen's right there, like mm -hmm. convincing someone they have an ailment that they don't have just because they're so convincing in the fact that <laughs> telling others yeah. and yourself that you have an ailment. Um, but it's also very, it's like a very, and I don't think that he's a serial killer necessarily, but that that is the exact type of tendencies, that is the exact type of personality trait that serial killers have. And they truly... I've read books on this. I've read articles on it. They truly do not believe that what they are doing is wrong. They, In their heart of hearts, they are so good at manipulating everyone around them. They've manipulated themselves into believing that what they are doing is not wrong. And to me, that is just horrifyingly fascinating. Yeah. And... In another case like this, when you have a gentleman who's still out there leading churches, that's a terrifying thought experiment. You know, this guy's still doing this. He's still leading churches. Yep. It's... Yeah. It's nuts. And yes, it's not a mega church. And I think, it, yeah, I think you just go back to, like, the whole thing of, like, the fruit, right? So, like, fortunately, like, the church... His sex anti sex trafficking ministry is not going so hot, praise God, you know. And like, there's a bunch of stuff that like is kind of like not going so well. And like, honestly, like I was kind of walking through this, so I'm like, yeah, I'd be totally cool, like, and working through. Like, I'm still working through a lot of the forgiveness and stuff, um, you know. And I, I really hope that like he would just kind of like take a step back. But like, the other thing is, is like pastors are almost like politicians at this point where it's like they have mm -hmm. no other skill sets other than pastors so like they can't go be like anything because they don't have a degree in anything other than pastor you know yeah um i so i remember like i will say this and like i know we're probably winding down um so like on april the third he emailed me at my new work email that he somehow found um he was always like really harping on um like prosecuting glenn and prosecuting and making sure that these people were being held accountable which was like a huge blind spot on his end <clears throat> because there was when i actually held him accountable it was like the end of the world right and so he right. always he sent me this email that said the coming consequences right in all caps and you do not prosecute glenn and um it was basically like blackmailing me into he said um since you like social media so much every day i will release evidence of your lying slanderous betrayal until everyone knows the truth but how wicked and deceitful you really are unless you come clean and tell the whole truth and then he wrote this is what you should tell them i abby assaulted my ex-husband blah to cover up my adulterous affair which it was an affair then I chased and ran. So the guy, he dragged me with his car down the road. 
um, down our neighborhood block. Um, and I ended up getting really, really hurt after that. Um, he stole my work laptop with my um, client's information on it. Um, you know, he, mm-hmm. when all that happened, it was like, it was bad. It was like, I had no way to contact the police. I had no way to call to get help. I was bleeding. I was like, I still have like the scars and stuff from that happening. And like, he decided it was that phone call with the, it was like Marriott's rewards program, Bonvoy or whatever. And they wouldn't like let him access my account. And I was like, quit yelling at the lady. I'll handle it. Like you're going to get a lot further, like being nice to them than like being mean. And so, um, you know, I, I remember he left and then he came back and then he demanded to take my cell phone, which I knew I was like, Oh my gosh, like he's going to find all these texts with this guy who I've been talking to. I wasn't even like physically doing anything with, but you know, I was like, Oh, he's really nice. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and then he took my work laptop. He took my dog. Like it was really bad. And then, so when I was pulling on the door handle, he gunned it down the road and drugged me. And that was the end. And that was where I was like, this is too much. Like I, it was horrible. Um, you know, and I was really messed up after that. And, um, nobody in the church, like the church that he was running out of took any stand. Like I went, cause that was the only place I knew where to go that had a phone. Right. So I went to that church that he was renting out of, which is an assembly of God church. And they, they weren't even like, they're just like, I'm so sorry you're going through this. Dang. And it, I was That's like, it. I'm like, he's a pastor. I'm like, are you guys going to do anything? Like, are you guys going to tell him he needs to set, like he needs help. Like he needs and that's when I like still was like, I still want to work through my marriage. I still want to stay in this. And like, I, he needs help. Like, I don't know how to get this man help. And like, at least to kind of start talking through stuff. And like, he's leading people. He's hurting people. He's hurting me. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it just kept going bad. Like, I remember we tried to have like a Matthew 18, which is like where he demanded this witness. So he would only talk to me with a witness. And so there was another guy from our congregation who sat down with us. I said, like, name the place. He said, hula hands in Overland Park. I had a protection order, like ready to be served on him. But I was like, let's just try this and see if like, maybe we can get like any sort of like, you know, anywhere and mm-hmm. it was like i really just i was like i'm so sorry that this is all going this way i'm so sorry that you know i cheated on you like i'm so sorry and he was like she's not sorry and then he started screaming and yelling at me and pushing people in the restaurant and then he got arrested and like, jesus yeah. was like, well <laughs> finally he got arrested for something yeah. i mean that's he got arrested i mean yeah it was just so we yeah so yeah it was fun. I'm glad to be out of it. Um, I'm much happier now and you know, God's still good. I don't think that it has anything to do with God's goodness or God's lack of control. I think it's a lot of, um, yeah, I think it's a lot of just people being really sick and twisted and broken and refusing Mm. to admit that they're broken. And like, I was sick and twisted and broken, you know, in like a completely different way. I was hurting people who loved me so much, you know, and I was scaring them to death. I remember my dad crying because he was like, I'm afraid you're going to die. And I was like, 
totally okay with it, you know, yeah. and there, we all hurt people, you know, and I think God, when we admit that we've hurt somebody or hurt and not loved correctly or fallen short, which is the definition of sin, and we go to God and we say, hey, God, like, how do I do this better? Like, help me, you know, and out of the bottom of our hearts, it doesn't have to be some big, huge rainbow prayer and that brings unicorns on earth but like you know i think god really acknowledges that and he is faithful to like walk through and you know help us and it doesn't have to but i don't think that this person who i was married to ever prayed that prayer out of the Mm -hmm. bottomness of like out of genuine heart of like i want to be checked and to see this whereas i was praying that prayer and saying god God, like help, help me in this marriage, like help me see what's going on. And, you know, I almost killed myself multiple times. I wasn't allowed to be on psych meds, even despite all the dissociation and stuff, because that's not Christian. Like, you know, it's just all these things that the church needs to like back up and back off and let people be people. And, you know, I think just love people. That's what Jesus would do. And you know, I'm not going to tell people for whether if they had an abortion or they identify as a homosexual or like whatever that they're going to hell or that they have a huge problem. I'm just saying that's between you and God. Like that's Jesus will work that out with you if you actually are walking with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And like, that's it. And who am I to tell you what Jesus is saying? So the end. That's good. Well, just- <laughs> hey, we're uh, we're glad that you made it out of that and that you're on. The up, you know, I mean, like more than happy out there in North Carolina. And I hope that uh, all the work you're doing out there continues to go well um, and that you're able to help and touch yeah. as many people um, as you're as you're able to. Um, so, yeah, I think we're about ready to wrap up. But thank you for let, taking. Oh, yeah. let, let me impart my final words, because I have like another <laughs> 45 minutes worth of things that I want to say, but I'm not. I'll, I'll say them as succinctly as possible. A, okay. I think you're incredibly brave, um, and you're amazing, and uh, your vulnerability on this podcast um, like has breathed a breath of fresh air into me. Um, thank you so much. Um, we say it all the time to our guests. Uh, this isn't just like thanks for being on the podcast because that's what we're supposed to say. Like, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for sharing your story, um, and you taking your situation and and being as um reflective internally with it is is a a skill or a trait that Jason will will never have I don't think I I don't want to say never cuz I I gen- genuinely hope that God takes that individual and and helps them cuz he is very sick and he does need a lot of help um, I was listening to a podcast recently um, about a serial killer and about his woe is me complex after after he finally got caught, after he had done all these horrible, heinous acts and killed six women. And um, the, the psychological analyst for this individual very bluntly said he's a run of the mill. He wants to be as important as he thinks he is. And I have no sympathy for this man 
um, because they play that victim complex so well. Again, they're so good at what they do, which is the, the kind of the heartbreaking part of it. If you'd use your powers for good instead of for evil, you could actually probably bring a lot of joy and good into this world. But when you're so busy pointing the finger and so busy riding around on your high horse and you will not look in the mirror to establish and identify your own flaws, I don't have a lot of sympathy for that person either. Mm-hmm. And by the way, Jason, if Abby is this crazy lady that you say she is, you have an open invite to come on this podcast anytime you want, friend. Um, and let me tell you, it's probably not going to be very comfortable for you because I we're, we're going to call you on your bullshit. But you have an open invite, brother, anytime you <laughs> want. You say the word and I'll clear the schedule because I would love to have a conversation with this individual. Um, yeah, exactly. Please do, please do. My emails are open. My and I will be very cordial. I won't yell. I won't swear. We can talk about scripture, brother. How about that? I got a degree in biblical studies, and I'd love to chat some scripture with you, friend. That'd be fun. Um, but anyway, last thing I'll say: anyone that's listening to this podcast that wonders why people have such the issue with established religion that they do. Listen to this podcast. Listen to this podcast and realize that this happens everywhere, all the time. It's going to happen this week at multiple churches across the entire world. And you have to put away your fucking Pontius Pilate pants and sit down with people and meet them where they are and realize that the book that you worship that is a good foundation and guideline for how all of us should live our lives can very easily and equally be wielded as a weapon against righteous people. And if you're just buying what these people have to say, hook, line, and sinker, because they spin it in a good way, but inside you you feel that little, no, this just doesn't feel right. I don't think Jesus would want us to be, you know, letting this pastor do this and then just saying, oh, well, you just got to work through it, sweetie. Bullshit. No. Wake up. Be people. But think. Don't follow so blindly because this is what happens and this is why people are so pissed off at established religion. And it sucks because God is good. He created this fantastic world for all of us to live in. Call him God, call him Buddha, call him whatever you want. I don't care, the creator, the almighty creator who put, who put all of us here, created something beautiful for us, but man will always find a way to turn it into something wicked. And we have to do better at ridding that wickedness from our culture and that's it i'll get off my soapbox thank you again abby Um, i just i hope that you guys can just sit down have a talk with jesus after this and you know just let him you know i think that you guys have been through a lot too i remember ben's invite was about like the church and so i think you know just let him just kind of work with you guys through some stuff and you know i think that I think that's a good word for everybody. It's just like actually ask Jesus what the heck is going on because he probably knows a little bit more than you or anybody else on this planet. So, um, yeah, I just hope that you guys really just press in and, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. And I really hope that I don't get an invite to talk with my ex-husband on this podcast. No. <laughs> oh, no, you, we, will, we won't have you on. No, oh, no, we won't have you on at the same time. No, 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 no. I did not mean that. Okay. <laughs> 
yeah, that'd be a no. an entirely separate no. thing. Yeah, for sure. And, but, and uh, again, I'd okay. probably assume that even if he would reach out to us, he would never take my invitation to sit down and discuss with me because, uh, again, I'm not the individual that that guy's looking to have a conversation with because I will not, we will not be um, susceptible to his bullshit. I'll put it that way. So, anyway. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> Abby, thank you. I won't take up any more of your time. I'm sure it's humid as hell out there. Um, so it is a little bit. I'm like, I got a sweater on, <laughs> but I'm going to the Cheesecake Factory. So that's oh, where well, I'm we going will now. not take up any more of your time. You and your you and your boyfriend go have a good night and thank yeah. you again. Of course. Thank you. Have a All good right. one. You yes, too. thank, thank you. you guys. Yep. All right. Bye. Bye. All right, y'all. Such is our MO after a couple week hiatus. We always come back swinging with a heavy hitter. So stick out. Glad if you got this far, we appreciate it. If not, we'll see you on the next one. That I, I think a lot of people are going to be sticking around towards the end of that one and, and listening to this because that was really intriguing. And she, uh, I, I, again, I really truly mean it when I say that her her courage and and her vulnerability is really really admirable after mm -hmm. being through some of the horrific things well, that both she's of them been through recently that we've had on with the six not the sit well i guess similar type situations the the ability for them to both come on and um share their stories and be vulnerable with us is uh it's kind of it's kind of I, I hate to say cool but it's kind of cool that they feel comfortable enough to do that on our humble little show absolutely it just makes you realize it doesn't matter who you meet, where you meet them. You have no idea what that person's been through. And you just got to do your best to meet people with with what they have, where they are, and just try to, uh, again, use your head, man. Mm -hmm. Like, just just don't follow anything so blindly that that little internal mechanism is saying, I don't know if this is right. Well... We're just going to keep on keeping on because the good Lord said so, sweetie. So you just go back home and you meet up with your husband now, okay? You just make him a nice warm dinner and you just you tell him you love him and you rub his little tootsies and you say your prayers <laughs> at night. And no, come on, dude. Come on. Come on. Use Be your sensible. common sense. Use your conscience. All right, y'all. We yeah. will see you next week. Have a great week and we'll be back later. Make sure that you tell somebody you love them. Have a great week. And I love you guys. I love right. you, Ben. I love you, Alex. All right. All right. Bye. See you guys.